Thanks to LegalZoom for supporting The Motley Fool. Whether you want to take your business to the next level or take control of your family's future with an estate plan, LegalZoom is where to start. They're not a law firm, but their network of independent attorneys can help to keep you on track. For special savings, enter Fool at checkout. LegalZoom.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, the 29th of March, and we're going to be talking about an upstream oil stock that might be an opportunity. We haven't heard about any of those for a while. Uh, I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me in the studio is Motley Fool senior contributor, Todd Campbell. Todd, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Uh, I am so excited to be here, Sarah. I mean, as listeners may know, I usually uh, am talking about healthcare stocks, but as a generalist, it's always so much fun to join some of the other shows and talk about some of the other really interesting stocks that I'm coming across as I'm I'm doing my own work. Well, I was going to say, if anybody listens to all of the shows, they will most definitely recognize you from Christine's show on Wednesday. Uh, But yeah, thank you very much for joining us. I couldn't not have you on after I read your article. If I had one, if I had to buy one stock in March, it would be this one. And lo and behold, I was so surprised it was an energy company, which I never see people, you know, it's obviously it's very in vogue to be bearish on oil as it has been for the past (laughs) three years, four years. Um, so yeah, the the company that you chose was uh, Hess Corporation. The ticker is HES. Uh, Hess is now solely an upstream oil producer. It span off its midstream business uh, into Hess Midstream Partners last year. Um, and upstream means they are an exploration and production company. I think we've covered this in a previous episode, but it just means that they go looking for oil and gas deposits. They drill the exploratory wells, uh, all the good stuff that goes along with getting those wells online. And once it's up and running, they operate it. So the stock has already had a bit of a roller coaster start to the year, but it's up four percent. It's actually up two percent since you wrote your article, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> well done. Uh, how how was Hess's twenty seventeen? Well, I think that might help Sarah just to kind of like talk really quickly about why actually I I, I chose mm-hmm, an energy absolutely. stock, right? Because you were kind of surprised when you clicked on it and saw it, and maybe a lot of other readers and and, and listeners might be surprised to hear me talking about this stock too. Yeah, I typically tend to avoid uh, industries that are in um, in decline or or beaten up or beaten down. However, I think that there really are some very intriguing underpinnings here. And now, with so many years, you know, since 2014, these things being uh, basically in the doghouse. I think that there's some opportunities for investors to go out there and and I don't want to necessarily call them bargains yet because on valuation metrics, they're not going to be bargains necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you believe in the idea that, you know, inflation is going higher because of global economic expansion and that that's going to create additional demand for commodities, um, that this might not be a bad time to start tucking some of these energy stocks into portfolios. And you know, certainly Hescorp has been one of those names that um, hasn't been a, a, a great or stellar performer over the last decade. I mean, the stock was $130 a share back in 07, 100 bucks back in 2014. I think now probably went trading around $50. So, you know, long term investors haven't haven't really benefited from that. But I think that there are some catalysts here um, 
that really make it intriguing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I would say the biggest biggest thing, change that we've seen in the oil industry over the past kind of five years is a real focus on bringing down that cost of production. So trying to really bring down the cost per barrel um, to make it competitive and to essentially enable them to make money in this low oil, uh, low uh, crude cost environment. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity. Um, particularly with Hess. Having read your article, I did a little bit more research on it and I just, uh, it all bolsters your view. So tell us a little bit about um, yeah, yeah. what the, yeah. the yeah, results you, you asked earlier, I never quite got to that. You asked earlier, what was last year like, right? And, and that's probably a really good starting point because it kind of builds into my thesis. And, and I think one of the things you have to understand as an investor looking at this stock is that this is, an, is, is a stock that's going through a considerable period of change. You know, you just said that, you know, we're, we're talking about driving costs out of production so that these companies can become more profitable. And we see that in the past with different industries or different individual companies that run into tough times. They eliminate as many costs as they can, and that gives them more operating leverage once revenue starts to come back. If you look at Hess, they're restructuring their business away from all of these other pieces of, uh, of, of the energy market. So, like you said, they could be an e, a pure play E&P company. As a result, you know, they're divesting assets that are mature, um, that are high cost, so that they can focus on these faster growing areas, places like the Bakken, places like offshore drilling, where they think that they can generate a much better return on investment. If you look at 2017, the company produced 295,000 barrels of oil equipment per day. And if you just took a look at that number and then look at first quarter numbers and second quarter numbers, you're probably going to look and say, Todd, what are you even talking about? Why would you recommend this? Because the production is going to decline right now. And that's because they've sold some of these assets in the North Sea and elsewhere, and that's reducing their average production. But they're at the same time, they're making other these other investments, Sarah, and I think that those are going to pay off. And as you get to the end of the year, your exit rate in production is going to be much higher than it is here at the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, they've sold the assets in the Permian Basin. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, nobody could uh, get enough of the Permian. So it's interesting that you're seeing this shift, but you're absolutely right. It's focusing on these kind of high growth, um, high yield uh, projects. Um, from North Sea and Permian, as you, as you mentioned, um, the two most notable are the Barkin and Guyana. Am I saying that correctly? <laughs> yeah, Guyana. I think that's absolutely, you know, fine. Sure, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I'm used to covering healthcare stocks where, the, where <laughs> pronouncing the names is, is a guessing game. Oh, that. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. The Probably the most interesting one for me, just being interested in shale, is Barkin, where they have 1,300 wells. I think they've got f uh, over half a million net acres of leasehold. And a lot of this, uh, a lot of the region that they have is actually this tier one, very uh, profitable wells. Yes. And the production there is real. I mean, we, you've talked about this in the show in the past. You had a great show on March 8th. Give you a shout out. Any listeners want to go back and check that <laughs> out, talking about the difference between shale production and production in other areas, some of the advances that are coming and allowing uh, these operators to get more and more oil out of the ground in the shale. And I think that you're going to you're seeing those um, innovations um, that will end up benefiting, you know, all the players within the Bakken, including Hess. You know, I mean, Hess. You know, as you mentioned, it has 550,000 plus acres there. Um, they've got four rigs operating right now. And by the end of the year, they're going to have six rigs operating right there, right now. Uh, so I think that you're going to see production in the Bakken 
really start to ramp over the course of the tail end of the year. And, you know, that's pretty high. You know, we alluded to this. That's pretty, you know, uh, good metrics for production in that in that play. So I think that that could definitely help the company financially. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And one thing to uh, make a note of here is when we talk about shale, we're often talking about quite a, uh, a lot shorter lifespans of these projects than you would normally get for offshore and conventional drilling. Um, but these uh, management has pegged the lifespan about 10 years of the core portion of this development. And then the firm's entire in- inventory in this region could last twice that. So it's not, you know, we're not talking 50 years out, uh, which we like to as long-term investors, but still this is a very, very much a long-term project for them. Yeah, and what's interesting too is, I mean, last if you look at last year's production and what the replacement was, I think they replaced like 350% of their production. You know, part of that came from the fact that they actually increased their um, their proven reserves, the Bakken, to I think 2 billion barrels, something mm-hmm. like that, uh, from 1.7 previously. So, you know, obviously, you know, as they're getting better about getting that oil out of the ground, that's becoming a much more valuable piece of the puzzle for them. And now with doing all those asset sales, I think they raised like 3.4 billion last year in asset sales alone, Sarah. Mm-hmm. You know, that gives them tons of financial flexibility to, to, to fuel their development efforts in the Bakken and, and also to go out and, um, and you know, basically pre-fund their expenses that are going to be associated with Guyana. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of the model that we have for EMP firms is uh, that they, they obviously their their bread and butter is finding new um, finding new deposits. And this is the way that they fund it is that they get these cash cows going up and running and then they use the cash that they generate from those uh, to invest in more exploration. And the one last interesting thing I think about the Barkin is, uh, as we've always talked about with shale, it's such low uh, production rates. I think management is pegging the internal rates of return of between 40 and 50% on crude prices of $50 a barrel. And that's you're seeing a lot of oil, a lot of the oil co's pegging um, a lot of their production around this $50 a barrel, which you know, estimates for two years out are, are pretty safe <laughs> around that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah, just to piggyback on that, that was really interesting there. Think about this. You know, the Bakken production for Hess was averaged about 105,000, 110,000 ba- uh, barrels per day mm-hmm. um, in 2017. By 2021, they think they can be producing 175,000 net uh, barrels of oil equivalent Which, per day. Yeah. And, and so you're with- talking about significant ramp up with really high uh, rates of return. Exactly. Yeah. Investors should be very, very happy about that. And then uh, Guyana, which you've mentioned, um, there seems to be a huge amount of investor optimism pegged on, and a lot of the turnaround is kind of pegged on the success of uh, this new project, which is a joint venture with ExxonMobil. Yes, they have 30% stake in it. ExxonMobil is the operator, and they couldn't ask for a better partner uh, when it comes to this type of project. ExxonMobil is, is arguably best in breed at this kind of thing. They have a history of coming in under budget and on time. Uh, Guyana is a truly massive uh, potential opportunity, 6.6 million acres, and they're finding new um, they're finding new areas to develop. It seemingly every quarter they're mm-hmm. reporting another new area that they might be able to explore and get oil out of. Yeah, they've announced several, they've had several confirmed discoveries. Uh, Lisa is the first um, for development. And I think that that's going to come online in 2020, although they're starting, I think this year is going to be, the, they're going to begin um, development drilling there. Uh, and that's requiring quite the investment from Hess's perspective. I think it's just, I think it's $950 million um, initial investment and then total investments looking to be more like $4 billion. 
Yeah, but they've got again, they've got plenty of money now. Yes. Because they sold all these assets. They, their balance sheet is fine. They've actually we'll get into this in a second, I'm sure, when we mm-hmm. start talking about activism and, and the role that that's <laughs> playing in this stock too. But yeah, you you talk about at least coming online in 2020. Um, you know, you look at Hess's share, that's about forty thousand barrels of oil in a day. Forty thousand barrels. That, that's pretty darn good considering they're in the two hundreds mm-hmm. now, right? Uh, and then in 2022, when the second phase is up and running, their share should climb to 66,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day. And they just came out recently. And, you know, they're saying that with the third phase, that Exxon's going to be cranking out about 500,000. And that's 150,000 of uh, barrels of oil equivalent a day to Hass, mm-hmm. which I- based on what they're producing now, again, is a huge increase over the next seven, eight years. Yes, definitely. And uh, the key thing to note, too, is uh, economically, this is could be on par with shale or on par with their buck. And um, they're expecting about uh, $35 per uh, break even, sorry, which would be phenomenal for offshore drilling. It's, it's something that we haven't been able to see before. But because of the way that this has all been set up in a low cost environment, it's really helped. And the, the big thing with this is kind of the time timing of that um, sanctioning at Lisa or Liza. I hope I, I'm sure someone's going to correct me on that um, was a big help because it was uh, negotiated in such a low oil cost environment, low oil price environment. Um, so the exceptional economics, uh, shallow depth of the reservoir means it's just going to be a really high productivity uh, region. And it's arguably the most attractive exploration and production project in the industry right now. So Hess has just been incredibly wise to uh, get involved in this from the start. Right. And an investor might say, well, why don't I just buy Exxon? But the, the reality is that, yes, Exxon has 70 has has you know, is the operator there. Um, but, you know, Hess is going to be more of the purer play because it's going to represent a much larger share of Hess's future production. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, as Todd mentioned, we're going to go on to talk about uh, some of the trials and tribulations <laughs> that uh, Hess has had last year with activists. But before we go on, I'd like to thank our sponsor for the show today. Now that the New Year's madness is over, it's time to work on your goals for 2018 and LegalZoom can help. Is this the year you launch the business idea you've been daydreaming about? Or maybe you've decided it's time you organised your family's future with the right estate plan. LegalZoom can help you with all of this and much more. They have been helping people take care of their dreams and responsibilities for 16 years. Best of all, the pricing is given upfront, so you don't have to dread the by the hour billing. LegalZoom is not a, le- uh, not a law firm, but they have the resources to keep you on the right path, including advice from their network of independent attorneys, all at your fingertips. Write your 2018 story now at LegalZoom.com and use offer code FOOL, that's F-O-O-L, to get special savings. That's LegalZoom.com, code FOOL, LegalZoom, where my life meets legal, LegalZoom.com, code FOOL. Uh, Todd, so um, I think a company CEO's worst nightmare is an adversarial activist investor. And that's exactly what Hess has been contending with since I think 2013. Is that right? Five years now. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I imagine it's just like, yeah, John Hess is probably at the point now where he's like, come on, give me a break. <laughs> I'm doing all these things you're asking me to do. I'm sure he's aged a lot in those five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Hess Corp, if you look back in the 70s and the 80s, the way the oil companies, I mean, they diversified themselves all over the place to try and kind of smooth out the the peaks and the valleys. And, um, you know, while that provided some insulation, it also took away a lot of the opportunity 
uh, for upside from investors. And I think that, you know, that got the attention of Elliott Management in 2013. Elliott Management, um, you know, that's been around since 77. That's Paul Singer's hedge fund. Um, they've been basically pounding the table for change to get this company leaner, to, you know, get rid of all of these old mature assets and to start giving some more money back to investors. And that's exactly what we've seen over the last few years. Absolutely. And uh, Hess essentially headed off a proxy fight with the hedge with the hedge fund um, when they announced their plans for the buy extending their buyback. They tripled their buyback. Is that right? Yeah, in March, they actually took it. Well, they've, there's been, they've done a few different things, right? So they sold off all these assets that gave them all sorts of money. They pr they're pre-funding the Guyana project. They're, they've got all these these this money kicking around that they can handle the Bakken. And now basically the activists are saying, OK, you got all this money. Let's start returning some of that more back to investors. And uh, yes, Hess pays a dividend, a small dividend, but you know, really, Elliot's been saying no more buybacks, more buybacks, more buybacks. They announced a five hundred million dollar one at the end of last year. They uh, announced an additional billion to go on top of the five hundred million in March. And five hundred million of that buyback is an accelerated program where they're just going to go out to an investment broker and say, hey, you know, I want all the shares now. And then the rest of it, they plan on spending throughout the course of the year, assuming that you know there's no major crisis in the oil markets. Mm -hmm. And I think all of this announcement came the day before the, their deadline to nominate new directors. And I think Ooh, they yeah. they were seeking the removal for the second time uh, of John Hess as CEO. So it was kind of uh, <laughs> by the wire there. But um, Elliot, yeah, back in 2013 or 14, when when Elliot started first advocating, they they basically wanted to shake up the board, in, you know, tremendously. They did not feel like the board was shareholder friendly at all. And, you know, the, as a result, you know, has separated himself from the chairman and CEO role. He remained as CEO and spun off the, out of the chairman role. Uh, and they replaced a, a bunch of different directors. And again, you're looking at the same thing. They're saying, let's get more change, more change, work faster, work faster, work faster. And in some respects, I guess, Sarah, I mean, that goes against what, I guess, the long term thinking, if you will, uh, that's associated with the oil business in, in trying to, to, to explore and, and line up production that can replace the production you have today, tomorrow. In this instance, I'm actually, um, I, you know, normally I feel like activists are pushing for short-term change and it's not necessarily always in the interest of long-term investors. In this in instance, uh, big oil had it so good for so long that there must have been, I do feel that there it's necessary to push for a cultural shift with a lot of these boards. And Hess, um, you know, I probably don't know enough about the company to know if that's that's right, but it, it seems like it's yielded some good results for them. Um, uh, yeah, I would agree with you, too. I mean, I think any investor that was around in the 2000s when oil was at similar prices and Hess was actually producing a profit is looking at it today and saying, why is the company losing money? Obviously, that there, there's, there's some bloat there or mm -hmm. some things that need to change. Yes, and I, um, I can't, I always try and look at this from the, an employee perspective. So I spend a lot of my time, um, as I'm sure you do, looking at kind of Glassdoor, uh, approval ratings and things like that. And and John Hess has pretty good approval ratings from employees. But one thing that I did see consistently was they're cutting some fat. I think they announced a 15% headcount reduction earlier this year. Uh, they're trimming some fat, but um, 
a lot of this is not coming from the senior management level. I think they cut 30% costs in the Barkin production. Uh, so on the floor, if you like, uh, on the ground, they've cut 30%. And then uh, head office has cut 25%. And that's kind of leaving, leading a lot of um, employees to ask questions, which is just, you know, so not something necessarily to base a thesis on, but something that we always think is interesting. Um, but- yeah, absolutely. And it's tough, too, when you have um, uh, basically, you know, John Hess, his last name is Hess. <laughs> his name is on the business. Yep. That's always difficult. So you're a little bit stubborn in that respect because you don't want to necessarily sell yourself outright. And theoretically, you want to have this company uh, around for decades. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that some changes needed to happen here. Those changes are now happening. And that's kind of what makes now not a bad time to be considering adding this stock to portfolios, in my view. I completely agree with you. Um, Elliot's response to all of their recent announcement was, uh, they said, we are pleased that Hess is initiating a comprehensive operating review with the goal of becoming the best-in-class operator in the Barkin. Um, they also kind of congratulated the tripling of the buyback authorization, of course, because <laughs> presumably that's going to bode very well for them. Um, but overall, they're happy now, so that's not really something that hopefully they're going to have to contend with for the next 12 months or so. Um, but you touched on something earlier that I want to revisit, and that's talking about the company's balance sheet, um, which is much more healthy than it has been for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, all these companies have debt, right? I yes. mean, it's, it, they're in a business that's that's kind of expensive to, mm-hmm. to run. So, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of hard sometimes to find uh, very low debt companies. But I mean, this this has a, you know, this company's got a debt to equity ratio that's, this may be a little bit higher than some. I mean, it's higher than Exxon's and stuff, but it's lower than others. You know, it's lower than Andarco's. Um, you know, it's got, I think it was $4.8 billion in cash exiting December um, and about $6 billion in debt on the books. Um, that's absolutely, totally manageable. Company said that it wants to eliminate about $500 million of that debt um, through the money that it has on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still able to do that with, you know, all the other things it's doing, you know, pre-funding, I guess, Guyana, uh, looking at the Bach and the work that they're doing there. Now, I think that Elliot could come back and say, hey, listen, we want you to get rid of some of these other assets, like their Malaysian assets, um, to raise even more money. Um, Hess doesn't, he seems to be drawing a line in the sand on that because he wants the cash flow from that to be able to have that cash flow continue to flow in to be able to fund some of these other projects. He doesn't want to necessarily get rid of all of all of that production, including his Gulf Mexico production. Which makes sense because you cannot rest on your laurels in that industry. Um, it's it's unlikely that you find deposits that are going to last for years and years and years. And even if you do, um, the rates of return start to deplete fairly quickly. Um, so yes, it's absolutely important that they're taking on this debt to invest in exploring new options for the company. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting about all of this is they're returning value to shareholders, they increase their dividend. And this kind of plays into this broader trend of oil companies re- focusing on returning value to shareholders. Um, one company you just mentioned, Andarco, they move very quickly quickly um, and aggressively to respond to this demand from investors. Um, and their shares are up 37% in the past six months. So it's obviously paying off. It's Investors are getting tired, I, I guess, of the low returns. Yeah, and and because these stocks have been abandoned and aren't very widely owned now, um, you figure any marginal improvements that kind of reattract people to it can generate outsized returns. So I think that you're right that you know you're seeing just broadly these companies, I guess, coming to the rev- the realization 
that they can't run these bloated cost structures any longer. Mm -hmm. They need to get lean if they want to be able to generate earnings growth, which, as we know from all areas of of, of investing, uh, stocks do follow earnings over time. So you, you need to be able to continue to find new production and translate that production into profitability for your investors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, ConocoPhillips, uh, also, just in case anybody's wondering, increased their dividend and uh, up their stock buyback to $2 billion. So it's a trend in the industry. It's something that I think we should be keeping our eye on. Um, I think a lot of these oil companies as we've talked about, they they like to have this uh, cash flow available so that they can uh, invest in new opportunities. They're probably doing this a little begrudgingly because, you know, it's nice to have that that available um, soft cushioning of cash for them. But uh, but it's interesting to see from the investor standpoint. So overall, uh, Todd, you've kind of convinced me on Hess, to be honest with you. I, I'm definitely going to be reviewing it for my personal portfolio. <laughs> I think it makes sense, especially with the market the way it's been lately. It could be make sense to diversify yourself away from some of these kind of names that were really have been hot performers mm-hmm. over the course of the last year or two in other areas, um, and pick up a couple energy stocks. And I think this one should be on your radar. I mean, if they can if they can deliver on their production growth targets of 10% uh, compounded annually through 2023, and if they can deliver on their cash flow projection for cash flow growth. Uh, compound growth of 20% over that same period. It's very hard for me to to think that you're not going to see that result in an in increase in, in this company's share price, especially if, you know, Elliot's still out there rattling the saber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of short-term headwinds are going to start to subside this year or hopefully start to subside this year. Um, there's just a lot, I, I agree with you, there's just a lot of great things going on. I like the debt reduction, I like the the buybacks, um, the, the pivoting of their business towards these new projects, um, these low-cost profitable projects is, is definitely the right way to go. Is there anything you think that we've missed that you uh, think a prospective buyer might no, want to know? I, I think that the only other thing that I would leave listeners with is that this is probably a back-end of 2018 into 2019 story where investors really start to warm up uh, more broadly to this stock because the first couple quarters of this year, you are going to have a headline decline in year over year production because of those asset sales. Uh, and, you know, so I, so just put, take a little, stick it away, um, diversify <laughs> yourself. And I think that you'll end up uh, being rewarded once again and it comes online in 2020. Mm-hmm. And the very last question I have for you, are you excited that it's the first day of the baseball season? I am. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. I'm up here in New England, and I plan on uh, and at least listening on the radio. Uh, I know our man behind the glass, Austin Morgan, is very excited. So um, I was trying to re- win brownie points with him for just remembering that today was the day. <laughs> Uh, but Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. Hopefully we can get you back um, again to kind of flex those energy uh, muscles. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate being on. Um, The market is closed tomorrow, so that unfortunately won't be the usual Friday tech show. Uh, But don't worry, if you need to hear Dylan Lewis's dulcet tones, there will be a bonus episode available on Saturday. It's about the cruise time in Austin for South by Southwest. I haven't heard it yet. Dylan has only given me a few details, but it's about the team exploring the ancillary industries around South by Southwest, specifically food trucks. Apparently, it promises to be very entertaining. So I can't wait and uh, make sure that you check it out. That's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. 
As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you to Austin Morgan for producing the show. For Todd, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.